0: Oh, shit about Fuck. I about like I
1: like sucking. Legit. Like
2: Hell, people welcome to legit bat this one hurt my brain as I say at the end uh, I it's funny we didn't have much to say we couldn't I mean Ari and Andreas just between the two of them I don't I mean I'm glad I scheduled both of them but seriously I need to get each of them separately and then combine them again but we're definitely gonna get them both on again they they're mind-blowing if i said it at the end of the episode if you are listening on audio go check out the video because that's the money shot there because ari brings a bunch of pictures and videos and everything else where you can i mean if you're a visual learner like i've said before you want to see this one it's fine over audio but go look at the video it was it's definitely
3: insane. a part one for sure you yeah. could tell that they could have gone on for a very long time uh it's not really new information it's information we've heard before presented in a very different way
2: well in differing opinions it was great to have andreas on because he has kind of a different opinion than ari and if you've heard both of these guys before i don't think i've ever heard them together so
3: i don't know if it's differing they just kind of both bounce off each other and then they are like "Ooh, it might be that too a little bit they no one's solid on what exactly happened we all weren't there but they're very open-minded very cool very knowledgeable
2: but on top of it, we had Mark Steves come on and um, Rome, Roman, <laughs> Rome from Rising from the Ashes. So that's cool. We did. I just tried to schedule him on today and he showed up on our stream tonight. It was fucking awesome. So check them out. Uh, links in the show notes, like usual. Uh, if you want to see other stuff that we do, patreon.com slash and the link for the video. I'll, I'll put the link to the video for this episode in the show notes as well. And oh, we were gonna mention the second part to that weird uh, documentary.
3: Oh yeah, the last history of Earth. The yeah, second so part.
2: we we I looked into it and it's like eight hours, but it's also it's kind of different from the first one. If anybody out there has watched the first five hour one, it's a little bit different, but it it has covers a lot of shit from
3: the first one. So bit. I thought
2: this would be a great episode to drop the uh, link for that into. So check that out too. Check out everybody that's been on the show tonight. It was not a normal episode for us. Like it was long, and we didn't talk that much. So it was probably the best one we've ever done.
3: Also, if you live in California, vote for David Alexander Bermante for the recall. Forget, Ga- yeah, uh, I always call him Gavin or Newsom. I can't help it. Gavin gavin Newsom, the Governor so of California. Bad. Yes, exactly. He's the worst. But uh vote for David Fuck Alexander Bermante. He was actually banned from TikTok. Um, I did say on the last show that he does tons of TikTok videos. He doesn't anymore because he was banned. Because he's fucking awesome. Because that, people who get banned rule. His ideas are dangerous. Their ideas like people should be free to do whatever they would like. They're not negative at all. Look him up. And TikTok's we're having,
2: like fuck you. We're
3: having him on tomorrow i am super excited
2: oh yeah forgot about that yeah live stream tomorrow with he's david tomorrow, alexander so... for governor if you're in california if you're not in california you probably if you it.
3: haven't voted yet hold off just listen to our show tomorrow and listen to him do your own research i don't want to tell you all what to do but he's pretty cool well he yeah easy. on top of
2: it i think voting is bullshit anyway but if we do have an illusion of choice it's going to be this guy for me uh Talking to him him tomorrow might change my mind. I don't know. But I don't think so. What I've seen from him, I talked to him today a little bit, and he seems like a solid dude. He's Way more solid than that wiener Gavin Newsom. That's all we got to say.
3: Gavin or Newsom, fuck you.
2: And if you're not in California, disregard this whole thing. (laughs) Anyway, we will uh, catch you next time, tomorrow, actually. And then Ripple Effect on Sunday, and a Sunday night shit show. We got a double show Sunday, which... I'm going to be so tired.
3: Which I didn't know about. Oh.
2: Oh. Well, we can reschedule.
3: No, it's fine. I'm down with that. I just didn't (laughs) know. Damn, I need to check the calendar. Okay, I'm drunk. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. I'm I'm a little drunk.
2: We got to cut this off. (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening. bye. Bye.
0: had a Hello. show called recent tartarians for those who don't know <laughs> right i, I, I was gonna say plug. we should
2: probably do do a little bit of plugs at the beginning and then we can get into it so we have that was mark steve everybody knows mark from my family thinks it's crazy how's it going mom
0: buddy? brother thank you and i gotta say shout out to andreas i love this guy shout out to the episode you did with sam dude and mark thank twain you. talking about that whole segment i've never heard any of that so i was excited but for folks who I'm are wise though, yeah interested well, dude, in any right back of that. To you. Great to see you yeah 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 dude and you know we're starting a new podcast called the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now we're three episodes in but i hope to have andreas on there ari we're going to talk about synchronicity and get into how you can actually change your life for the better and maybe how the research is a part of that because i think the mystery that we're all unfolding here getting into is like what makes this so fun for me
4: right yeah. i'd, I'd also say that? uh check out andreas.me if you haven't already figured it out i have a website that's updated now so you just go to www.andreas.me that's it it's just andreas.me.
2: Oh, it's not xertus.com anymore i do have
4: that too xertus or x-i-r-t.us i have xert.us also but andreas.me mm-hmm. is easy so that people can find you know i feel like it's there's it's an easier name you might have heard of it you know
2: yeah. <laughs> then we got uh roman from rising from the ashes how's it going buddy hello how are everybody how are everybody today <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna fit in just fine. Is great.
4: <laughs> it's a super yeah. meta question
5: i are a baboon <laughs> yeah give us yeah. your uh your show or where, where we can find you too Oh, yeah. Rising from the Ashes podcast. We've had Ari on before. That was an amazing Absolutely. episode, dude. <laughs> um, so much love going around. Alternative history. Um, uh, I, I cover a lot of plant medicine because, you know, uh, health is the most important thing. Health is wealth. It's the goodness that is with your cellular body. Um, so, uh, yeah, all that good stuff. And thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate everybody. Of course,
2: dude. And then last but not least, we got Ari Asulin, right? Did I say yes. that right? Absolutely. It's Absolutely. not Asulin, everybody. It's Asulin. <laughs> I always get
0: it wrong. I'm sorry, Ari. It's
2: okay. Don't worry about it. Either or. So, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the man with the uh, the presentation for us tonight, so we're going to kind of just hand it over to him, and then you guys can duke it out, because we you guys know way more about Tartaria and everything than we do, so... I'm just gonna hand it over to ari here and if you're just listening on audio head over to rockfin because this is going to be visual heavy i'm sure so yes Ari, I, take it away try to
1: absolutely so uh, yeah my website is paradigmthreat.net and i started two, two two years ago when i sort of uh, hit a, a climax of research um went from going from amateur and investigative to starting to decide that I have, i'm ready to make conclusions on things and <clears throat> I, I see like, everyone has sort of their angle on why they care about conspiracy, history, all, all history, all that. Everyone has their investments into it, right? I, you know, someone likes it because of family or where they're born or, you know, uh, something they just saw online. But um, in my case, I, I came from a social engineering sort of perspective, where I would say I'm sort of late to the game when it comes to conspiracy theory in general. And I've been catching up since about 2014 when I started getting interested interest in it, but uh, the social engineering aspect of it is what really caught my interest. Going back to the early 2000s of the online days, you got IRC, you got you know, StarCraft on BattleNet, you got all these, these new technologies just coming right out without any, um, with any gauges and people sort of discovering how to communicate in all kinds of ways. And I sort of magnet, uh, you know, was drawn to uh, social engineering, let's just say, the idea of BSing, at print, pulling pranks on people, you know, trying to play tricks online, especially in video games and forums. I came from a website called OC Remix, which we remixed uh, video game music. And yeah, there was just a lot of pranks going around. And I just really got this dose of the idea that people can be so easily social engineered. They can be sort of routed into, you know, mundane conclusions that, you know, they're better than that, but they can do it, but they can be routed anyway. And, And the power of that is what drew me to conspiracy land. Um, certain topics I saw, um, which I did not understand right off the bat. I saw an article in 2010 about predictive programming. And this concept was just like hard to, you know, why would that work? What, What is it? You know, that sounds stupid. That would never work. Those are all the initial conclusions when you read these concepts until you finally get to the point where you want to say, okay, maybe it just does work and maybe it works really well too. Maybe predictive programming is what they ended up they, you know, let's just uh, start calling them the deep state, have decided is the best way to rule people. You don't tell them, you don't hide the plans from them. You don't lie to them all the time. You show them stuff to their face in a proper context. You tell them what you want them to believe, what you don't want them to believe. They've been doing that throughout television, movies, media, especially in education, and through government policy, especially foreign policy, which is usually based on some kind of Mundane concepts, some usually racist or um, you know scarcity concepts, um, and uh, and so all of this this programming essentially puts the onus on us, the individual, because you know we haven't organized any kind of resistance in the last you know six, 60 years. Uh, this world hasn't seen any kind of meaningful resistance movements that didn't just get defeated right away. So I'm covering a lot of topics here, but the point is that's because of this predictive programming. It puts the onus on all of us to. Be the ones to disprove everything like oh that science fiction movie had something real in it so if i try to tell somebody that they're going to say what you think science fiction is real you know it's just it's all stacked against us we can't say look trust me for a second that they're trying to fool us by telling us their plans in movies people will be like what it's just it works so well on the masses it's yeah, what really because
2: it's so easily dismissible we just talked about that the other day about how it's easily dismissible they're like that was right. a movie dude. you're insane Exactly. Well, and it's entertainment. Entertainment has been the gateway for pretty much everything for uh, o- almost a century.
4: Well, yes. entertainment's a psychological. Absolutely. I mean? it's a well, it's a commercialized uh, art that you can study the reactions of people so much. That's why they say for advertising, whenever they spy on you. But it's so much deeper because it's about how you're going to respond to something. And it's true. Like there's the initial response versus the latent response. So you can have a generation trained to hypnotically react to their parents believing in something that's irrationally installed. All of that is totally real. It's in very fact, studied. Some things, about, tar- some things about Tartaria are actually part of a psychological operation, which is interesting. And yes. I saw mm-hmm. we've seen 1968, um, I think, uh, the Freedom Information Act CIA mentions Tartaria. You know, huh. you can wow. go back further yep. than that, though. I mean, you can go back to the morals and dogma. Albert Pike and Freemasonry in the 1800s is talking about Tartaria. So there's already like a setup and a narrative for the word being used. And if you're hinting at it being used now by so many people <laughs> that it could have a generalized meaning that leads towards the World Economic Forum's Davos reset, then I'm right with you. Absolutely. I definitely so, think so one are sec- let's that.
1: get to that Tatari in a second, because I will get there in a sec Um with the uh the predictive programming aspect of it, which you, you just said absolutely, they have all kinds of ways to prevent us from ever getting to the information. And then um, at that point, you know, the is on us to prove it. Um, the angle that I came into all of this with was in 2014, when I got hit hard by the whole Nibiru conspiracy, the idea that there could be, you know, aliens involved in human affairs, federated government, you name it. I, I saw, saw them all, all at once. And um, I didn't really know what to believe because all of them explained why things are so bad. You know, no one else had an explanation, but these guys did. So I really got hooked on this idea that... Yes, there actually could be some, someone in charge of Earth. I totally believe the, that we're in sort of a prison planet situation here. This is not natural at all, but we need to come that, up with.
2: That had to have been a really rough week for your brain. <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these
1: are scary things. And I think um, maybe some people might describe um, similarities. I went through physical and mental withdrawal. It was a big thing. I have strong ties to Israel. My entire family's over there. They all wanted me to move there in 2015. Actually, and if you were Israeli, how religious were
4: you? Because I think the idea of Eden being a walled garden prison plan is pretty much supplied by the entire narrative, right?
1: Well, I'll get there. The uh, religion in general has predictive programming concepts in it where you can certainly so, sort of ascertain anything that's going on to the will of God or the devil. And so it again puts down an onus on me to say to my family, you know, these things aren't happening for the reasons you think. But anyway, um, so I was, I was like just stretched and I really just needed to have some kind of grips over this one. I couldn't accept any of the theories as put because none of the conclusions uh, were hypothesis. Hypothesis are very important. They can explain the past. Hypothesis are supposed to predict the future. If you don't have a working hypothesis, you don't have anything. So you know, these people about Nibiru and time travel and everything like that did not have a working hypothesis that predicted anything, past or present or future. I needed something better. So um, what I really got hooked on was this idea that um, um, there, there could be life, not on earth, but not so far out, just right there in the solar system, right there on Mars. It doesn't have to be any further than that. And they could have all this reason to sort of need to dominate earth, resources, all kinds of stuff, and that they shared our, our history. Before I get into that so too far, I actually saw a lot of, um, reason. I, I got a lot of clues my whole life that this is the case. The first biggest clue is my favorite book, or of the Worlds. Uh, ni- 1900 it came out, and it was the first science fiction, with the exception of um that Cthulhu book, uh, which isn't really a space movie, but fiction. It was fi- first space science fiction book ever. War of the Worlds it came out in 1900, and it said, you know, th- this is fiction. We're not dealing with the truth anymore. Everything that we're going to tell you now is fake. Before that, you actually had a hundred years of literature, at least, especially here in America. like a place in Tucson, actually, nearby where I live. That talked extensively what they saw on Mars. We've all heard about canals and water and all this kind of stuff. And, and that no one ever said any of that was fiction or even had a category of science fiction back then. It wouldn't have been necessary. The true stories were more amazing than the ones you can make up. So something happens in the 20th century where we started labeling entire categories of stuff, fiction. Tartaria, for example, falls directly into that. And suddenly we have a situation where we, we don't know what is true, what to believe in. Things are torn from other places, relocated, time periods are lied about, locations are lied about. So, um, again, I need to have grips over this. I couldn't just accept, you know, it's impossible and solvable. There has to be a primer, just like with social engineering. There's usually a plan, a top down plan that, that explains everything we're seeing right now. And um, with, with uh, modern history, with my channel on Discord, a Paradigm Threat channel. I had a bunch of people come in early and they, t- they started telling me all this stuff, Rome isn't true, that Rome never happens. It's a lie. And, and the timeline of 2000 years, you know, 2021 that we're in is also a lie. I uh, hadn't heard this one before. I was kind of blown away by the timeline, uh, phantom timeline hypothesis, right? And unfortunately I couldn't find any good references, but my mind was blown when I went to Wikipedia and I found a, just a tiny article in Fomenko which listed all of his claims all at once. <laughs> I never heard that stuff before about the Crusades and Trojan War. Him
2: recently. Right, yeah.
1: This stuff was clearly hidden from us under the guise Dude, of Fumako, Russia.
4: Though, there's been people for a uh, 100 years almost now because what when he started in like, the 30s, so it's like 90 years of research that some people knew about. It's like certain pockets of people that were isolated from each other.
1: Right. So, uh, you know, I come from a religious background and I'm not religious and I really am scrutinizing of religions. And I usually tried to find you know what they're fighting about and I've always wondered what like what actually makes a difference between a Jew and a Muslim and a Christian when they, they're almost identical if you really look at it. Ask and,
4: Maimonides, right? Say what? what was that? Oh ask Maimonides, right? Maimonides. Maimonides. I yeah. have to look that up. But, he's the philosopher who ran okay. Spain who chose like he was a Jew who ran Spain for Muslims oh.
1: during Christians. Okay yeah there you go. Um, like for example uh, what is the real origin story for the Jews and Muslims? Was it you know, ancient times uh, or is there no connection between those ancient people and people today? Nothing that, that can be actually ascertained. Um, that, and so I started looking at every one of these questions, not as anything that has ever been solved, but things that are still being fought over today because it gives people power. People in Israel, people outside Israel, you name it. It's all kinds of power ascertained by causing conflict. When in the nineties, If you looked at the culture of the world in the 90s, we were intelligent, our media was coming out, just calling out all of this stuff. Long time ago, we were ready to change. And then 9-11 happened, and suddenly, everyone was put back on the old track of thinking, you know, Muslim versus Jew versus Christian. It's almost like, wasn't that just a trick to make us think on those terms again? So I had to really get into the grips of of where these terms come from. And and when I finally found Fumienko, it was like, okay, now I'm, I want to just accept everything he says. He's got to be the right guy, right? And, and so, you know, then I find uh, people who are critical of Fomenko. If
4: worked for the Stalinists, I mean, he couldn't have obviously said everything he believed. yeah, or
1: even right. He, he was clearly a state-sponsored guy. Started in the university, and they'll just allow anything in there or out of there. But you know, for all intents and purposes, he might not have realized that he was being watched or anything. He just seemed like a normal guy to me. His research was based on books that he saw in the Kremlin. None of that's doubtable. It's all very serious and real. You know, whether or not the Russians wanted this to happen or if it was an, it was, it was an artifact of the fall of the USSR, you know, it was up for debate. But to me, the biggest question was, is this the reliable source now? Is this it? Can we now trust this guy? And what I found out is that the Russians also have you know, biases towards the West. They have their own kind of per- version of history and they think that they're wronged in many places where you know, the Western people think they were wronged. So that's, that was finally the primer I was looking for. Um, not that one was right or the other one was right, but that there is this huge schism in, in Europe. Uh, it's East versus West. It's polytheistic East versus monotheistic West. It's Inquisition, Roman Empire, which is actually the restored Empire, coming from the East to the West and causing the Inquisition, um, making a bunch of people flee to America. That kind, of, That whole story is real. It's just that the people of the story have been fighting each other and are still fighting today over it. Why wouldn't you? This is If you benefited from a crime, you need to cover up the crime. So I finally found my primer. All history has been redacted, in my opinion, because people need to cover up their crimes. That's the biggest reason of all. Everything else is is secondary. The biggest crimes of of modern history, for example, that happened in the 19th century um, might have been pushed back as far as a thousand years or more. Um, the Aztec empire being wiped out by the conquistadors. That might've happened in the 19th century, you know, and pushed back. Uh, Fumiego certainly believes that uh, Columbus came 300 years after they said he did. And, um, and there was an attempt to wipe out the American population. But we also have records that that failed, that the Spanish empire, uh, their vassal to the Rusford empire, did not get very far in America, that they were um, <clears throat> they were sort of ordering um, well, this was a Jesuits at a time, We're ordering the Native Americans to sort of give up their tribes. Native Americans refused, and they gave them this edict that says, if you don't obey us, the church said to the Native Americans, if you don't obey us, we're going to take your children, we're going to enslave them, we're going to, we're going to subject you to the yoke of the church, is what they said. Um, so, so this, again, this is the kind of thing I'm looking for, unsolved conflicts that are still happening today. Um, the East versus West thing is very prevalent. You got, um, monotheistic, Reformation-style religions spread throughout the world, thanks to the Jesuits. And um, in Russia, you have this evidence that actually all of that religion was theirs. It came from there. The Jerusalem number two was actually the Kremlin. That's where Jerusalem was before the 19th century. The Kaab, the original Mecca, was right next to the Kremlin. It's a big cube that everyone worshipped because it looked like the North Pole of Saturn and uh, Christianity had its origin from the Orthodox Church, and Islam, they were the original Jews of the Resort Empire. Uh, and, and that only because somebody defeated this empire and stole its history that we think anything else, we think the you know, Muslims came from Saudi Arabia and so forth. So I'm jumping all over the place. Um, anyone have any questions or anything so far? I
5: don't Keep consider. jumping, I, I like, like it. it. Killing yeah. it, sir, killing it, sir. Yeah. Okay. Continue your, continue yeah, like I said,
1: this helps me, get, you know, get over what, each time. Um, so, for my hypothesis, I basically, um, I was triggered completely by finding the mud flood conspiracy, only about nine or ten months ago. Um, I was blown away by it. This is not your normal conspiracy, your daddy's conspiracy. This is uh, not JFK, this is something else. This is um, something happened to the whole planet, and nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's about summing it up right there. And when I say nobody wants to talk about it, what I really mean is you go to these locations, which which qualify as mud flood locations. And we're looking for reasons why this happened alternate to our hypothesis that we come up with. And nobody in these locations will ever talk about these things, these events. They'll say these buildings are always like that, or that's just the basement. So that's what I mean when I say, nobody wants to talk about the mud flood um, geographically. So the mud flood seems to be, let's just say the biggest conspiracy of all. That's the one that we have to find an explanation for it. I actually got a person coming to the channel today and say, uh, you know, how do you know it's not liquefaction? Yeah, that's a great question, great hypothesis, liquefaction, it's known to be caused by earthquakes or energy weapons. It can make um, a car sink into the ground, it can make a house sink into the ground. But if you look at those videos, you'll see that the car is a the house, they always tilt when they, when they affect liquefaction, that they're never straight, it's like the Tower of Pisa. Um, And in fact, these mud flood buildings never do that. They actually go straight into the ground or the ground level goes straight up above them. Some locations, right, yeah. Some locations, you know, five, six feet. Some locations, 20, 30 feet stories. Some locations way higher than that. Salt Lake City Temple, for example, um, apparently has five stories buried underneath it. Um, And no one would have wanted to build it that way. And those stories have windows. What Was that good?
4: Well, I've I've heard seven, but yeah.
1: I was yeah. thinking and more, and you know?
4: anywhere that's in the mormon area the deseret buildings supposedly yeah. as tall as any of the buildings are they're at least that deep right well, thank you as thank you Google. for telling me that
1: yeah confirmation like that's something weird and you got mormons who represent a modern religion um they already have an explanation for all this right they said that the um the nephites you know known as nephilim in the christian bible came from tower of babel to north america mm. in, in um when they mean the Tower of Babel, they actually mean the collinear configuration of Saturn, not an actual tower. Um, but that's you know theory. Uh, what was known is the Book of Mormon says that they're all killed off, and that they were giants, they're a giant race here in America that were all killed off because God willed it so. So um, mm. the first question to ask is, you know, are, are Mormons talking about the mud flood? You know, I mean, their book does says way further back, but um, it fits perfectly. This idea that God showed up, killed off all of the big things, all the giants, anything else that sort of um, that sort of uh, couldn't withstand lightning strikes, were sort of exposed out in the open, and didn't have certain kind of cathedrals built that could withstand this sort of electric onslaught that was involved with the mud flood event. So jumping around, but let's just get to the beginning of the theory here. We um, actually share screens, so you can actually see my little. That's not it, there it is, right up here. And yeah, I haven't even done this video yet, but that's because I got to, I got to the middle and I realized that I have um, some other deductive logic that I need to sort of start over my theory with. So I'll, I'll explain to that in a second. Um, so the mud flood directed energy weapon hypothesis. The idea here is that the mud flood event, assuming it was a single event worldwide, uh, must have been caused by some sort of energy release. Yeah, you need energy to move things, to move mud, if it's a shovel or if it's electricity, and that energy has to be sourced by something. Without finding the energy, we don't have an explanation for the mud flood period. Um, so that's why it's a directed energy weapon hypothesis, because the idea is that, regardless of how the energy got there, it was directed into certain locations on purpose, as opposed to, say, a natural phenomenon, like the Earth experiences some kind of, you know, uh solar cooking or something every 200 years or something we don't have any reference points for that we have stuff like the tunguska event which is crazy and we don't know where it came from and and so we have we have actually a last reference point something crazy happened in the 19th century a dust bowl and so forth uh, explained by by human
4: not path. to interrupt but someone remind me later to tell my theory on that one
1: after that yeah let's cover dust bullet ends um so i'll go into a bunch of them um but so um So the point is, if there was such an event, if we can determine when it happened, then we absolutely have to determine why it happened. Um, It seems like most of the researchers I've seen have agreed that this event occurred between the early 19th century and 1860. So about a 60-year period where it started, stopped, recurred, and then after the 60s, it never happened again and was was forgotten about, whatever this event was. So um, first question is, you know uh well let's get to the question we got to what and how is is um well out of uh, order here the next question really should be no okay so how is fine okay so um if we know when it happened and we don't think it was a natural event because we don't have natural reference point we have to explain why it happened geopolitically we have to look at that aspect of it even if it's a federation of aliens that invaded earth if, if it's that we have to look at that as the hypothesis. So the first thing about the mud flood is, it seems excessive, it seems like this world became post-apocalyptic at that time, and that we're sort of living in a recovering world, it's going back to normal very slowly, Um, that this event was not what anyone wanted to happen, not even the people that caused it. That that would be the first, uh, I would say, logical guess to make. Um, Otherwise, you could say, you know, they would have done it in such a way that kept them in power and kept the secret going, and they could use it again in the future. But um, again, this seems to be an excessive situation where buildings rose, and and there's no reason for them to want that. They might have wanted to destroy targets, but they didn't want to leave evidence behind. So, um, so what is the way that this event could have happened in the 19th century? Well, we all know about theories of of technology um, in in the last thousand years. A lot of theories coming out. You got sound cannons, you got airships, the all kinds of cool stuff that may have existed and is now suppressed. Um, So that would give us an idea of where we were with technology at the time. Is that enough to like destroy the surface of the earth? No. So what are we looking for? We're looking for some kind of advanced weapon, something really advanced for its time. If humans on Mars shared a shared history with us on earth, that is only about what I've estimated to be about 4,000 years long, then they would just be, only a matter of hundreds of years ahead of us in technology they would have the capability of making this kind of weapon very easily it's just about coalescing energy to one point and releasing it the energy has nowhere else to go but the nearest planet in opposition so when earth and mars become in opposition it happens every 36 months i believe this is a possibility for this energy to be released from one planet to the next the energy of course would come out in a haphazard sort of way but coalesce to a point point on the earth's em field Pierce it and come down onto the ground. This, um, this instrument, you could call it, was precise. It was so precise. It could actually t- it could actually carve out locations on the ground, destroy region. Um, it was a weapon. That, that's what the hypothesis is. Um, now, <clears throat> where was the target? Um, if we look at geopolitical events, we, um, we could see that there was a, there was a French Revolution right before. And that, leading up to the War of 1812, the War of 1812 was another big overlooked event of the 19th century that, you know, we've all heard about in in school, but nobody talks about it. They always talk about Waterloo. They always say Napoleon, you know, screwed up in Waterloo. It's like, well, Waterloo was nothing. Uh, the invasion of Russia was 420,000 soldiers. It was huge. it um, crossed the Alps. It was nothing, nothing. So then, what was it? What was Napoleon's invasion of Russia was that, you know, like a big deal war? Was that like World War One kind of? Because they don't call it a world war. Well, surprise, surprise. There's another war happening at the exact same time here in America, War of 1812 uh, against the British. And if you look closely, the British at the time were still were were, were just just independent from the va- they were vassal to the Horde Empire and they had just become independent. And the American colonies again had declared independence 1776 from the Horde Empire not from Britain. Um, When the British attacked Americans in 1812, Napoleon was here. He had all of Louisiana. He had about a third of North America. This battle happened while Napoleon was here, and it happened while he was invading Russia. It happened in the same year. This is a world war of 1812. And of course, it needs to be taught that way in school. It's the first world war we had. It's very different from World War One, of course, because one was fought with, with meager artilleries and mustard gas and trenches. is almost pathetic, and none of the soldiers wanted to fight. But the 1812
4: well, war, go ahead. It's pretty bad, though. They have all the. In 1812, and we've been calling it World War Zero, it's like, it has unbelievable Excellent. amounts of high industry. Like the kinds of explosives and biological warfare and fire and other things that seem anomalous is, yeah, they had a lot of tech.
1: Yeah, I should totally play uh, 1812 Overture right now because it kind of makes the point. I mean, Tchaikovsky hated that song. He didn't want to work on it. You can kind of listen to it closing and see why, you know, it's um represents the Tsar's victory over Napoleon. Nobody wanted the Tsar to win. Nobody wanted Napoleon to lose. But anyway- But they
4: literally, that uses cannonballs, right?
1: Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah, right that there. Is the cannonballs balls. in the song. It's
4: literal cannonballs in the-
1: But were any real cannonballs used in the battle of 1812? Some right. people uh, say war that Zero. the cannons, right, yeah. Some people say the cannons don't work. You put gunpowder and cannonballs in the cannons, you ignite them, they just crack in half. So they could potentially have been sound weapons. You know, I defer to the other experts on that one, but I've seen those videos, and it's pretty convincing. So the 1812 war seemed to be a time of high technology. And then right after that, we have the mud flood event. And now we have this, this sort of reset, which people aren't aware of what technology is possible. A lot of it, we're told, is not possible lasers anti-gravity instantaneous teleportation healing technology we're, we're taught uh, things like um, uh, the stuff they put in the water fluoride is you know good for your teeth um, when there's every reason to believe in the 18th and 19th centuries that people were very telepathic back then and tele- telepathy may have played a role in some of these major events we had the 1666 revolution of judaism where the rabbi was telling everyone that he'd been hearing voices directly for many months. And a lot of witnesses confirmed it, and this has literature, uh, you know, that that could have been really telepathy. You know, Was it from Angel or was it from somebody on Mars during opposition? Um, let me throw out one random factoid out there, just something that just really you know just nails these things into my head. But I found this one website which listed um, trade points from the Dow Jones in the, in the 20s, in the 30s, and they, they were listing the trade points and comparing them to the Mars opposition, the, the periodic 36-month Mars opposition. Unbelievable, right? There's no way there's going to be a correlation. And there was. Apparently, the stock market went nuts every time Mars was in opposition for periods of 40 or 50 years straight. This is unmistakable evidence that they are involved in our affairs, even to the point of their buying our real estate right here. So, you know, as humans, there's not anything else. It's not like War of the Worlds where they make it gruesome on purpose. In fact, War of the Worlds stole their, their creature from Cthulhu anyway. A lot of people say that in the forums. What's identical. <laughs> and it's a mind control, you know, thing. Trying to control humanity is the same thing again. So anyway, um, War of 1812 appears to be the trigger for the mud flood, which is where I get my main reasoning that the mud flood is a response to Napoleon's victory of 1812, now officially, he lost that war. Take a look at the details of of his invasion of Russia. You can see that he lost four hundred twenty thousand soldiers just by having not enough um, um, resources. Uh, you know, um, what's the word? You know, food supplies and stuff like that. And that they they weren't they weren't ready for the winter. But again, these these are professional soldiers from Europe. They were not uh, unaccustomed to these kinds of um, environments. They had resources. They knew where to get them, and they knew how to hunt. The official story of, of Napoleon's loss, 1812, makes no sense. He he didn't seem to have lost that war at all. He seemed to have reached the Kremlin. The Tsar's army wasn't there. It was gone. And it looked like that's it. That's victory. And then suddenly he loses after that. So what else do we know? The Kremlin was burned to the ground. Apparently, the Tsar was the one that did it. Um, this region had, had a lot of cataclysm in it during that time. Um, later on in history, we see other cataclysms in the same region, like the Tunguska event. We got a lot of reference points that Siberia in general has gone through massive upheaval. Siberia, um, as we know now, is basically the covering up of this Tatarian empire, this Rus Horde empire that used to exist for a long time. And when Napoleon, who was enemies with the Rus Horde empire, when he defeated that empire, his victory had to be reversed, but they couldn't leave that empire in charge either they were defeated too, and anyone else on Earth that might have later posed a threat. This is just going back to my theory of, of, why, of uh, why it happened. Um, if if uh, someone on Mars convinced everyone that they had to reverse the, the course of events of the Napoleonic Wars in order to reassert control over Earth, in order to continue the resources flowing, then, um, <clears throat> then they would have all understood that this has to be done one time, has to be done correctly. Cannot be done, kind of have to repeat this 200 years later. So you got to take out everyone that will eventually be a threat. Napoleon, obviously. Um, the Tsar, well, they were actually the original empire enemies of the deep state. They were the ones where uh, Jesus came from the Rusford Empire. His name was Christ, back then, And he went to Central Europe, Turkey at the time. He went to Istanbul to choose someone and sort of just caused all the problems and uh, you know, screwed up their religion told them, don't have to believe in any of that monotheistic you know usury stuff and they could just go straight to the Rus hordes version of it uh the the horde empire was uh, in my opinion and fumenko's opinion of course he's biased was a really well done empire it was you know of the people it tried it was first to bring democracy into the world it's a lot of the stories were stolen by the memory of the roman empire and then a lot of bad stuff was added in crucifixion for example which was extremely rare back then it, it did not happen all the time like they tell us in high school Um, is extremely rare. And that they even crucified uh, Andronicus probably has a lot more to do with the fact that he was a revolutionary. Um, In in the Bible, there's another revolutionary in the same trial called Barabbas. Barabbas might have been the original name of, uh, or their name for him. Why? Because he's a barbarian. He's from the Rus Horde Empire. Horde again, barbarian. They're implying that these people are are, um, not civilized because they don't follow their usury and, and, and monotheistic religions, essentially. They have barbarians in Africa. They have Tartarians in the East. They have names, bad names for everyone. So it's it, they call themselves, I'm actually not even sure what they call themselves, but Fomenko said, Bruce Horde Empire. And since he's Russian, I'm just going to go with that. So um, back to my flood. Uh, I was looking for, um, let's see, let's pull up some video here. I was looking for some real evidence of this. You know, I got some theories now. And... What we're looking for is lightning scarring across the earth on google google maps um it's not hard to find stuff that looks like lightning scarring this is dendrilic effects de- or sorry dendritic effects these are um these are kind of spiky um patterns where energy spreads out and finds as much room as it can rivers obviously cause dendritic effects but so does lightning lightning constantly tries to find the highest ground and in a concentrated point of lightning it would deteriorate the highest point and cause a um a canyon the the amount of discharge you put into it this you can be you can you can check out the sapphire project for the verification of this they've done experiments in the lab of exactly this got negative electric scarring which carves canyons and positive electric scarring which creates mountains which is as amazing as that sounds so um first thing i did i looked around for you know scarring I started camp with inductive hypothesis that actually a lot of the stuff we see can be explained by um, electric scarring. Um, but that was not gonna convince anyone who also can say that could in rivers. So um, what I started finding later was locations that could not be possibly be explained by anything. And that, whether or not they could be considered electric scarring, so let me pull up a couple here. Um, we got, this one's really interesting, Shiprock. Negative lightning, starring, well, that's what I call it. Uh, nope, that's not, it's right here. Right here, there it is. Okay, so south of me in Arizona, it's this uh, ship rock formation. And uh, Andrew Hall of, uh, of the Electric Universe uh, Persuasion um, describes this as an electrically created structure, not just because of its weird shape and location, but also because of these weird long stretching arms that come out again in a dendritic fashion, which means, sorry, Google Maps, trying to get out. That's great. <laughs> Got stuck. There we go. Uh, coming out in a dendritic fashion. So, if these things can be explained by lightning scarring, they might be evidence of of a cataclysmic creation of mountains, rather than the, the, the long term version uh, that they teach us in the school. Uniformitarianism. You know, billions of years, that kind of thing. This structure cannot be created in billions of years. It's it's uh, up in the, in the air. You know, there, this region would have had to have been completely carved out evenly over this time and instead we see these mesas all over the place these mesas are flat you know they're not unevenly carved at all and there's no signs of rivers so you see my point some of these structures could actually be um you know they're, they're unexplained still but here's the biggest mystery of ship rock and you can look this up um the native americans have a mythology about this location saying it was created by star people as their definition they call them star people you know from the stars they, they don't know if they came from close by a planet like mars or somewhere further but they are star people to them and they created this mountain that makes a lot of sense to me that's testimony that something like that may have happened on earth um a bigger one though since that one takes some understanding of of a rock formation the biggest one i found so far is the grand canyon crisscross i only found this about four months ago
5: i was going to ask if a grand canyon was one of these potential uh uh, yeah. areas of
1: totally, um, the biggest, um, the biggest, uh, clue that there's something weird about the grand Canyon. Sorry, I zoomed out a lot here is that it follows the Colorado river, which did not exist 200 years ago, 300, 400 years ago in any of those maps You check them out. You'll see, it was the Rio Grande. That was the big river at the time came right through this region. And it is sourced from all the Northern water and water, um, aquifers into a giant, uh, river all the way to Gulf of Mexico. Um, now we have Colorado river which sort of snakes uh, back up north, it goes into the Grand Canyon and allegedly carved it billions of years ago. Or Sorry, 1 million years ago, I'll be accurate. It's about 5 million years ago, that's what they say. So here's the first problem. Um, The Grand Canyon did not, or the Colorado River did not carve out any other Grand Canyons. Like in Grand Junction, you see just normal-sized rivers. There's no Grand Canyons. We see crazy other dendritic effects. We don't know what that is yet, but the point is, it all just starts right here in the Grand Canyon region and just carves this magnificent one-mile-deep scar. Uh, could that have possibly been caused by a river? It, I say no. If it was 5 million years, then it would have caused another canyon at the beginning of the Colorado River and at the end of it.
2: It, it almost looks like veins or like a
1: vascular system. Right? <sighs> yeah. There's a lot, lot to say I was going to say,
3: isn't dendritic like derivative from dendrite, which is like the synapses in your brain?
1: Uh, dendril. Um, let me pull up a picture real fast that really explains it's like a bot it it just describes
0: any like branching. right branching. I should say branching diet dia is like bio. It's like by way through connection. But I mean fractal.
4: Yeah fractal too if you've noticed um this it's a place where there's a lot of silicon, and so that's why a lot of people have talked about silicon trees or mycelial mushroom towers that grew before trees that would have excreted kinds of mineral supplement uh, suppo, uh, su- supposedly like California Silicon Valley has this, and so does Israel, and that's one of the reasons why like this idea of ISIS raw elium you know is so important in that area. If you start looking for some of those, um, they'll I mean. I guess you could call them electrocution points. You can see smaller examples of them in towns where they've been hit by lightning. Uh, so it, it, have, you ever, have you seen the work of Mike Ferreira? Um,
1: maybe, I'm not really. So he's not, he's, you know, he
4: started out like not knowing much about Tartaria either or about, you know, doos, but started looking at direct energy weapons and nice. stuff. He's a lot of good uh, information on this
1: whole area. Yeah, look it up. I'll definitely check it out. So yeah, real fast. Um, this picture right here. Um, this is from the Electric Universe. Um, you can check out subscribe to their YouTube. They have amazing videos, and they already made the case. What we're seeing in a lot of these mountain formations are actually um, uh, fractal or dendritic patterns. Uh, here's a fractal pattern where um, you know we thought that these kinds of mountains were carved naturally by you know wind and rain erosion, but clearly there is a pattern in there. Um, so going back to the uh, Grand Canyon, dendritic patterns, yes. But is there anything? that just uh, proves it, that couldn't be something else. It couldn't also be rivers acting in a weird fashion. And that's when I finally found my crisscross. um, So let me pose the question to you. If two rivers form in any circumstances in nature, can they ever crisscross, or is it more natural for rivers to follow the bed that will exists? exist? Second river shows up on an existing riverbed, and it just flows into it. It doesn't crisscross and form a new river. If it's impossible,
4: uh, go ahead. It can, follow, it can follow paths of least resistance. So if it's coming up to a point where certain kinds of crystalline mineral deposits or metallic glasses are starting to form, you right, know, right. especially where the volcano is, Short, long story short, that's the only place where that can happen.
1: Pretty much right. So, so existing scar, right? So you're essentially saying um, something else would have had to already exist in that region that was so prominent that an existing river flowed through it but here's the thing, as all that, that mineral that you just described exists within the slit of the region, in this hypothesis, the river would have, would have driven those minerals out sooner because they're so susceptible to erosion. And it would have still followed the, second, the, the existing riverbed pattern. It wouldn't have gone off in the direction that we see today. It would have been affected by that other crisscross in some way. Do you guys agree with that?
5: Sounds legit yeah i mean i, mean,
1: I, I uh i it doesn't
4: necessarily have to be that way but in in, nor- in normal circumstances i can see how it happens a lot but nature's pretty weird because yeah. what it's doing is it's following the path of least resistance so sometimes water will go uphill to go right. downhill further faster mm-hmm. and sometimes water will start a path because of some other you know, like you said, pre-existing reason, but that reason might be so small that it's a feedback loop and the feedback loop builds so much that you can, you know, like, have you seen like the Volnish Lake, right? In Russia. And they like diverted like less than 10% of the lake 40 years ago, but now the lake is completely dry because it no longer rains there. So every year it dried up more until it was gone, totally. you know, we can very quickly have a feedback loop system as well.
1: Right. And this condition, I just assume that after 5 million years, all things are equal, right? You know, is that any uh, weird conditions would have evened out? Well, I
4: didn't, I didn't want to interrupt, but another another contention. So with this idea of millions of years being, you know, carbon dated, let's say, or we're using carbon emissions to like right. track. So the problem with that is when you can, uh, what I would say is I know people who would very reliably carbon date eruptions, but I don't know a lot of people who would, confidently stand behind carbon dating years so specifically especially when it's something so trivial as one or five million, because it's so different at that point. Oh, I agree. Uh, because the amount of eruptions that could happen, we're predicting based on how many eruptions are happening now, which are already, by the way, a lot, but there could be moments mm-hmm. where there were none. And I mean, theoretically, it's, it's likely that there are always eruptions, but that it also changes. Um, it could be thousands of years ago, we just had so many eruptions. It seems like the carbon was, you know, that, that's, that's the other thing.
1: Totally agree. And I I doubt many people here actually believe in this 5 million year timeline anyway, right? Uh, Raise your hand if you do. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, But yeah, I I was only using that as a reference point to the existing hypothesis that this was carved by water. That's okay. And 5 million years or billion would have been long enough to sort of even out all of the weird effects of water and and air and everything. And therefore, uh, that explanation would still need something new to explain these crisscrosses that we're seeing. These, are, of course, aren't the only region that I can else go to. Um...
4: Actually, I'd like to further agree with you by saying that over that many millions of years, this should have dissipated. If this was, <laughs> it would have smoothed out.
1: Absolutely. Let's uh, Just looking through my list here. So
5: potentially it happened, you know, in the mud flood paradigm. Absolutely. That's, world, that's my uh...
4: personal belief.
5: <laughs> but I'll, I'll hold mm. back.
1: But, so, uh, yeah, I'll get past this. Um, the, um... Oh, yeah, there is one other thing that I want to show um, in uh, Asia. Oh, yeah, Great Wall of China, of course. Um, so Great Wall of China, we've all heard, you know, is this structure that they built, the Chinese built in ancient times to hoard off the Mongol Empire. That's not zoom out, Okay, okay, zoom out here. There we go. And uh, as you can see the shape here, I got marked off of the wall, <clears throat> the Great Wall of China, uh, built in different periods for different reasons. Right away, I'm sure uh, you can... Point out a lot of contradictions. Like, wait a second. You know, um, the first question is, you know, why did they build walls around regions that essentially didn't really have much life in them? Another the question is, why did they build them south of this desert region that nobody can live in? It's very unlikely that an army would go through. I can go on all day. Why? Why is there a wall here? They can just walk around. So there's problems with the Great Wall of China. I was looking close at it. And I noticed right away that it follows the same dendritic patterns as everything else. It, it's random, it's spaced out based on you know, uh, availability of space, energy, and, um, and that if there was a ancient wall built on these regions, that they, they probably didn't pick the best path because they sort of just built it everywhere. Um, furthermore, if you look closely at these regions, not much, much of them have much evidence of a Great Wall is sometimes they sometimes have walls, sometimes they have ridges, which could have been formed naturally. Um, and then finally, I'm just gonna cap it off by saying, um, the uh, terracotta warriors and a lot of other um, ancient artifacts of China are believed to be fake by a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Um, that the Chinese um, uh, history essentially itself is fake. From Yanko again, will agree, he says, that the Mongols are actually the Rus' horde empire again, that they were, the history is stolen, they're moved into the desert region. And they said they kept invading China, but actually, uh, Fomenko points out that China was a vassal state of the Rus' horde world empire, that the world was one big empire back then. They were not constantly fighting each other for thousands of years, there were no Mongols. So they, well, China to me does appear to be an attempt to cover up a recent scarring that occurred in this region. Here's another way more prominent recent scarring that may have occurred in this region. India, the Himalayan mountains. Of course, a lot of people would just spit the drink out at this point to suggest that such a region could have been created recently or by by cataclysm, that these aren't naturally forming mountains. But again, we see the dendritic patterns. These uh, rock formations um, could not have been formed by water because they they didn't start from one flat space and then, then carve out into water. They would have been much more um it would be much more even like these patterns here they represent um well if you go to the Electric Universe people they will explain this a lot better but they they represent a spacing out of energy um in this region you see that um let me map it up here you see that the Himalayan sort of presses down against all of India right here to explain this they say oh this is a um subduction zone this is uh, Continent sliding into Asia, causing Himalayan mountains to go up. Okay, that's that's a pretty good um, theory, but um, if you look at the world map of uh, of zones, let's see, got anything ready here? Um, you'll see that this region isn't well explained by a. Um, let me grab it. There we go. I have a better one. Oh yeah, this is it. The, the, um, this region isn't well explained by a plate. If you notice the Asian plate or the Indian plate, sorry, has to curve up and, and sort of bend into Asia in order to explain the Himalayan mountains, that subduction itself really isn't a good, good fit for this. They just, they said that cause they didn't have anything better. And if you remove subduction from the equation, then the Himalayans become extremely mysterious, not just because they look mysterious, but because if you look at old maps, now here's the part that's going to be interesting. Uh, if I have it ready at all, no, I don't. Bear with me one second. I can post all this out if have you,
5: you later. Uh, Ari, quick, quick question yeah, if you ahead. don't mind me asking. No, at all. Uh, there's there's myths of uh, electric scarring on like the surface of Mars. Uh, yeah. Does Anyone know about that or or yeah. uh, conclude well, me, that?
1: Absolutely, I can get into that. Did you
5: see that picture
4: that Twitter uh, NASA posted on Twitter earlier today that had camels? And people walking in the background? <laughs>
1: no. Oh, no. was yeah. a totally different folder. Sorry. I got it now. Okay. That was Here's today. My...
4: Yeah. I'm going to find it and going to you So I it. All right. So,
1: here, so I look at uh, old maps. I love looking at old maps. Go to rearmaps.com. Just, you know, they have everything on display. Um, maps are a perfect place to just point out contradictions in history. Uh, they don't agree with each other. The regions are different, different times. Fumienko will just go out and say things like the, Uh, West uh, French and French English and German maps of 16th, 17th century, the Jesuit expansion randomly placed Jerusalem in the Middle East when everyone knew Jerusalem was in the Kremlin. So maps actually represent a point of contention to fight over. Maps themselves represent the war itself. If you believe in one map, you're on one side. If you believe in another, you're on the other side. So um, in the case of India, the old maps of India look totally different from anything today. First thing you notice is the lack of the Himalayas. They're just not there. You see some mountains, but they're not, you know, in the shape of the Himalayas. Might go back to that picture. See, boom. And isn't it interesting how like Nepal and Bhutan are created on the Himalayan regions? Like they're the cover-up countries, you know, of all of India. That you know, so these countries, these countries didn't exist before. Um, what did exist is these rivers. You can see this big delta right here. This is clearly the outlet of the aquifers of Central, or sorry, South Asia. Um, with the mountain region being up here. So going back to that photo, let's take a look at the Ganges because the Ganges doesn't go up there at all. That was a blurred photo, okay. The Ganges starts down here in this Delta and it goes and curves around, it goes up here. There is the old Delta right here. It's all dried up. Here is the old river. It's also dried up. So again, it's just like the Rio Grande versus the Colorado River. We have a new river. Everyone's heard of the Ganges and we have this old river which um, you know is dried up, as gone, and yet appears in old world maps. So that is actually my bigger clue that this region did not used to have Himalayan mountains. It's a completely electric scar that happened recently, nineteenth century. What do you guys say? Have you seen California it was an island? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I can go into that. All right. Is You know, Cortez said it was an island, right? And the north side of it wasn't connected. Everybody
4: said it was an island. The whole, like, every map of it is an island. But at some point, uh, the gold rush, you've got people with these giant hoses and they're spraying dynamite and, you know, like, they they blow up the mountain and then they wash it away in these giant flumes. And then they just completely buried, again, not all of it, but enough of it that feedback loops completely dried up what is now basically burning it black rock city right wow
1: um yeah um it could talk about the nile uh, the nile is a mystery um Dude, Andrea, look right
4: there, that's california look at that that is a picture of california right it's an island
1: <laughs> you, know, you notice all the port cities port 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 these are parts oh, of yeah. the Rus- resort empire that go straight to uh, Europe, you know, no problem, man.
4: Batman, Batman is Zorro. Like he's from Valencia, hence the bat symbol. And if you look into Capitola and Santa Cruz, you know, that was originally where the capital was supposed to be before they wanted to move it to Sacramento because it became the train depot wow. and they use that train to just keep lugging material.
1: Nice. So yeah, good. Thanks for mentioning California. Cause it ties into my point. Where is the grand Canyon on these old maps? can't zoom in here, but on the the Real Maps website, you can zoom in as much as you want, go into detail, and you can see that there was old cities and old palaces in America with Roman architecture, and there was no Grand Canyon, and there was this huge ocean, or sorry, sea in between here in California. Uh, It was clearly a different place. If you look at the north east, sorry, west, northwest of North America, in all of these old maps, you'll notice it's big and empty. There's nothing up there. It's right here. You see all this detail right there, nothing. Um, that was the mystery zone. That was the furthest place away from the from the European Reformation Jesuit uh, Rom- Holy Roman Catholic Church Empire that 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 had yet to be conquered by them, yet to be Christianized, and so it does not appear in any of these maps with any detail. They don't want to put any detail down because they plan to conquer them someday. Um, now that poses an interesting question: if these maps are sometimes the truth and sometimes plans for the future, then wouldn't they depict plans that could not have happened because they were screwed up by the mud flood events? And in fact, I believe as what we're looking at here. We're seeing the original plans of the deep state. They got that Jesuit invasion going perfectly and they were gonna take over this land. They had the edicts for the North American natives, which were giants. And it was just a matter of time. They were evangelizing everyone. Um, what could possibly have turned it ended their plan. Nothing in the world, except for one thing. This is called what I call the anomaly. It's described very well in uh, the Matrix movies. The anomaly, the one, the thing that turns the plan against itself. No matter what the plan was or how articulate it was, um, and that anomaly <clears throat> is Napoleon. Napoleon was raised on the deeps by a deep state. He was in their garden. He was married off to one of their people, and unfortunately, all of his plans got ruined early because of that French Revolution. He was just standing around there the whole time. He was like, I'm trying to keep the peace, trying to keep the peace. He's a general. Um, And at the end of the revolution, he basically said, that's it. You guys have had your chance. We've tried everything with with the aristocracy, with the Holy Roman Catholic Church, and they are devious. They're working against us. They're genocidal even. So we are not doing that anymore. Declared himself emperor. Napoleon turned this crazy Jesuit world domination plan on itself in such a short period of time that it led directly to the, the War of 1812. Tsar um, Nicholas, I think Nicholas III, declared himself uh, emperor, also of Eurasia at the time, because he was trying to uh, to undercut what Napoleon was about to do. Napoleon had no choice; it was going to be a battle between two emperors. And in my my reckoning, it does seem like Napoleon had the upper hand. Not technology, never mind the technology. This is all about that Jesuit invasion. They were convincing every indigenous race on earth. To, to give over their religion, to the Christianity, to monotheism. And they were so good at what they did. They were um, that, you know, all they had to do was turn that plan to something better. The new plan that Napoleon had offered everyone was um, no more, you know, no more deep state, no more usury. You can go back to being a vassal state, uh, you know, like it used to be. And with this promise, he was able to convert each of these regions, especially Spain, especially um, Egypt, over onto his side. He he got a lot of allies in a very short time. And it's because of these allies that I believe that the uh, mud flood event, the the weapon event, um, had to target all of his allies, anyone that could have potentially sided with him and preserved the people who remained loyal to the deep state, even in sight of his enormous popularity. Who are these people? Well, we know they're people who believe in the invisible God who rules things on earth. If you have that religion, if you are Christian, Jews, so forth, Buddhist, you will um, defer in times like this to the church and what they're saying, and they will say that Napoleon is evil. In fact, that's what the Tsar was saying of Russia. Um, you know, do not talk to Napoleon. Do not let his men into your village. See no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. That's where all that came from. And because of that loyalty, these people were rewarded in this event. They were saved. They were spared. They huddled in their cathedrals cathedrals of course were things that nobody thought would be useful anymore but they had a special purpose they're cathodes they can absorb an amount, enormous amount of energy from the sky without causing destruction and they are in truth, true sanctuaries so anyone rewarded with this old deep state uh, egyptian empire religion was saved in this battle of 1812 was preserved and ever since that date you have all these reference points to people saying so you have um you have the um the uh, overture, of course, 1812 overture. Um, what what is the victory of Napoleon? Oh, it's God's victory of Napoleon, isn't it? God save the Tsar is what they say in the song. We've heard this everywhere else. We hear God save the Queen, God save the King, or the Czar alternately in almost every Europe, European country. Actually, not just one or two, but all of them. They all do the same thing at Western Europe. Sorry, um, and they're all saying the same event happened that that God saved the Czar. Which Tsar? Nicholas III of Russia, the one that declared himself czar. Um, now, what does Nicholas have to say about it? Well, in his testimony, which I read, he strictly told people, do not believe. This is divine intervention. Do not believe that that's what it is. He was telling people to, that this was not God. And you can look up those, those quotes. It was amazing. He had to mass-produce text in order to prevent the religious people from sort of revolutionizing the, uh, the vacuum within the, the remnants of the Russian Empire. Uh, they were going to do it on a religious basis. And they did. The Bolshevik revolution, which came only, um, you know, 80, 90 years later, was entirely a religious revolution. It was all about the majority. We're right. We're God ordained. We're going to take out everyone else and so forth. And and it actually spawned all of the religious turmoil that we know today. But I'll get to that in a second. Um, The evidence is all over the place. Someone, everyone thinks that God saved the czars of the world, put them back in charge and killed off the enemy. It was Napoleon. Um, one thing that's really funny, I noticed the other day, I was watching with my wife um, European Vacation. Chevy Chase goes to the top of the Empire State Building, sorry, Eiffel Tower goes to the top of the Eiffel Tower, and he sings the overture to 1812, just really briefly. It's like, what does that mean? Well, it's kind of weird because the Eiffel Tower is sort of a symbol of Napoleon back in the day, and he's singing the victory against Napoleon in that movie. It's just like there you go. This is that ancient schism that's playing out in Europe to this day. They're still fighting over these same things, and the Westerners have the upper hand. You know, we all know that Russia doesn't have any kind of mass distribution of TV or anything like that, or, or Hollywood. Um, it's all in the West, and the West has a very Russia phobic perspective of these. So I'm off topic there, but um,
4: well, RT, you know, like they do, and they made a bunch of movies, like the Russian movies over the you know Soviet period were yeah you know, all over the world and like Yugoslavia and stuff like there's a there's another side of the brain that is like the humans you know the neurons the, the billions of us like there's like a west hemisphere of the brain Yep. And there's definitely an east one
1: I just want to show this video real fast and okay. Oh, can, can I share audio can I do that I don't know if I can oh there we go I, just, it. I think right. it does it
5: automatically yeah
1: does anyone recognize this
5: I was just talking to a friend about, like, I was like,
1: man, you know, like the Simpsons, they
5: had so many things, predictions, and that, that Yale so yes. show,
1: right?
4: That Yale show, The
5: Simpletons,
4: like, right? The show about all of us made by the Yale graduates.
1: Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Well, it's, it has tons of PP in it all over the place. So everyone kind of realized that now. But um, But what are they telling us with all of that? Well, obviously, they don't want us to believe in the things we're seeing, right? But I'm actually wondering why these guys chose to show. This in a Hollywood episode. It's true. We are aliens. But what are you going to do about it? It's a two-party system. You have to vote for one of us. You're right, this is a two-party system. Well, I believe I'll vote for a third party candidate. Go ahead. Throw
3: your vote away. <laughs> <laughs>
4: hail, President Kane! Hmm.
1: I don't understand
0: why we have to build a ray gun to aim at a planet I never even heard of.
1: Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Go! (laughs) The end. Hilarious, right? Show. Perfect. now why did they show a freaking space cannon why do they have the story of people slaves building a cannon shooting at another planet that they've never heard of i mean if this is not giving us scientology, the clue, well i mean it did this ever happen
4: and this it, is scientology it, this is oh the, well, yeah. the, this is the theme from the movie final fantasy in 1999 the thetans and like the the traps regression Oh right, yeah, are we is that pretty much the end of the thing, the presentation? I don't want to interrupt. Sorry.
1: Oh, that was just the end of that that video. Yeah, that's over. I was just talking about it now. Um, okay. But yeah, um, I have
4: I have a couple of thoughts I wanted to bring up. There's yeah, sure. like some things I've been thinking about. So like, okay. First off, World War Zero, Napoleon, Flamenco. You've been looking at that. Do you know about uh, Mikhail Bogakov, who wrote his book, Vassin and Margarita, and was thrown into a gulag for writing it? And so afterwards, he had to write it again on toilet paper and smuggle it out. And so for the (laughs) most part, a lot of people in the Soviet Union started putting out things exactly the way they had to. And Fomenko, being a guy who's studying um, forensics and uh, passwords and and encryption and decryption, is creating a system where he can say to the Soviet overlords, is this about a Russo state empire, which is good for their history? And then he can say yes. But when you read it, and you start getting into it, you see what he's really saying is that very recently, like you're saying, that the bunch of nations had their history stolen from themselves. And this is a particularly big deal to Jews, actually. In the Soviet Union, you had yeah. Zionist uh, Israel, which is yep, yep, yep. the longest time. Um, you know, it was separated and kind of he was trying to control rather than send them home which is an interesting thing on, on the side but Israel itself, I mean a big part of this history, you've got this idea that there's ISIS, there's Ra, Elohim as we're talking, which is kind of like Buddha and Pest, right? Cities yes. that are sold, that they've come together so according to Fomenko, you've got cities that were moved around because of these disasters and what happens is a nation will pick up and move and a good example of this are the Jews, because literally who better can you point to who's like taking their traditions with them to other places so you know, Gypsies. Story, you've know, you heard this idea that moscow was a star is a star for it but it's also uh, jerusalem have you heard right. have you heard that? yeah Absolutely. so a lot of these stories have this idea that the nation itself has moved the state around so sometimes these maps actually the names have been moved around because they're literally pins on this board game and the other thing is saying that it's an empire so we say it's an empire, but the reason is because, like, like you said, there was like no war. Like, was, nothing wasn't necessarily war, but that in general, trade was more of the emphasis of this period. So what's interesting is it's not just one ethnicity, which would have been you look at the examples of single ethnicities like uh, you know the Japanese of Edo period, It's very interesting time, but they don't progress the way Iran did, you know, when they became a Persian empire with tons of different kinds of people. Rome's a great example. You know, like, someday they're going to look at the White House and say, look at that American architecture, the way you were saying about Roman architecture. Because, like, the Romans didn't really invent architecture. They didn't even deal with numbers, really. They had, like, tally systems, but they did take people's kids. And through a, a system of human trafficking, they were able to create a state. Right and a nation, more importantly. So we think of Rome didn't exist. Well, you know, at this point, people are like Marco Polo, you know, and you know, but he was Croatian, right? So like as you look at the whole expanse of what it was, you have people that were kind of allowed to be themselves, but they're a part of like this area, like this nobleman thing that's existing, like the Tartarians. And that's not to say that that's all the people, and or even that they were ever referred to necessarily as that. So, I mean, my. By other people, but they probably didn't refer to themselves necessarily as Tartarians, and it's kind of no, the no, Phoenicians. No. Right? Phoenicians didn't refer to themselves as Phoenicians. We call them that now, okay. so it's a it's a it's a thing there. But in terms of also de-evolution, okay. So let me go back also because I had take a couple nuts. It's a little like a good stuff. I didn't want to stop it. Um, regression. Okay. So when we're talking about how every generation thinks that they're learning and evolving, they're not right, and you can see this through smartphones. They're actually getting less. I can't remember your number you know these kinds of situations wouldn't have happened to our parents are now commonplace and you can see what it did to our parents because they know smartphones are a smartphone in their lifetime and it just destroyed them you know as far as i can tell so think of that in terms of havelock and you these stories of god and so these ideas that god is this you know um metaphor i think are newer than if you look back it's like gods are like people that just do more stuff and then eventually that's just hard to believe that people could be doing those kinds of things so a lot of the the stories kind of you know fell apart and then in terms of Judaism which is like one of the most fascinating uh, trifectas of religion and history and culture because it's able to exist in you know in in spite of all the th- things that have happened to it right and you've got people in africa that are still practicing mitzvahs in ethiopia that are completely different from well
1: you know, that's still in history isn't it i mean wh- whose history is all of that um right passover stuff well, that passover uh, you know that memory wh- who's that belong well, to so, so so around the
4: time of spinoza and i've been trying for this whole episode and i'll have to i mean i like, can't get it was like the guy who was this rabbi who said that like aliens you know, like that it was all about aliens in the 1600s, and it's actually a pretty, you know, it's, you think about the, um, what's the stone, the the Arabs spin around, it's a meteor inside of a cube, right? And you start thinking about the the idea of asteroids, and um, this, like, this, this is this thing between, are they coming from above or they're coming from below? Is it lightning that's coming down? Is it, um, you know, volcanoes that are rising up? And it's a bit of both because there's like a a marriage between that that is sustainable green energy. And so you look at Tartaria as a place that had all of this tech, right? You have these people that are really trying to figure out Tartaria, but they also really want to believe in like, wow, someday Tesla could exist. And they're like, wait, it couldn't Mm -hmm. exist before, which allows them to use their imagination to kind of imagine things. And so some of the times we're dealing with uh, modern uh, presuppositions, it's like Godzilla or something it's like a godzilla is a bigger reptile in the replacement of an actual extremophile titan it's beyond our comprehension right it's that burning bush kind of concept so that's what got these... me into
1: uh, predictive programming because uh you know that, that's where you um go ahead you guys well no absolutely i mean and, and so much there
4: programming you know, it actually, like Philip, one of my favorite examples in the Philippines, they stopped a war from happening because all they had to do was figure out they were afraid of vampires, take a guy into the woods, kill him, drain him of his blood, leave some holes in his neck, and you know, it saved millions of lives, probably. Right. So, psychological operations by the military, especially ones that involve Tartary, tart- you know, that's a
1: right. That's so, so, one question to ask is how prevalent are these, you know, psyops, you know, like Mockingbirds, so oh, forth, completely. They- yeah, it's way upset, more prevalent
4: right? than actual wars. Like, it's actually yeah. hard to
1: convince people, like I, I have a lot of media friends, that they don't actually let media in unless it follows certain guidelines. You're not allowed to be revolutionary media, period. Video games, I mean, I known
4: I've known a lot of people who went to school to do psychological operations. You know, it's a good job. Like, if you can do that for the military, then you can actually like get on Twitter, pretend I think to be, you have to be Naturally good and at so it. asking, on people if they're, or doing on people if they're, you know." And like you can figure out which ones are just going to march and which ones are crazy. Right,
2: so, so to that point, I mean, a lot of people so, that think war is all theater—that the, people don't actually go to war as much as you think—and that not I agree as many. With that. Eyes, you Well, think, and, well like, wait,
4: wait, wait. War is all theater. Know. Doesn't mean it's not war. See, let's like saying wrestling is not real, man. Like, so the, the <laughs> sophism of it's real. And so these kids in, in the 17th century with their little action figures like Dungeons and Dragons that have set up, um, you know, they, that's how they move the map around. So war is theater for a lot of reasons, right? So all around us, we're in this war, but we're playing by these specific rules. So let it's war. I speak, more to, more let me speak
1: to that one, actually. Because we have these video games, right? Asian empires and stuff. We got uh, Chinese warlord games where you're literally slaughtering millions of people all by yourself, and that is clearly depicting a warlike history of the human race. We we're setting it in stone. Right. This is who we are. This is how we are. And
4: imprinting this idea that that came yeah. first, and then rev- back in school they pushed this idea. So in anthropology right. they told so. That it's actually
1: started with war, but it so it's actually into- right. So it's actually a revolutionary idea to suggest that we haven't even had as many wars that we're talking about that stuff like the Trojan War and the Crusades and all of that have just been one memory that have been spread spread out as much as they can to make us feel like that is how we are. That actually never happened.
4: Well, cool, and then naturally you have to think about like what circumstances result in chaos, right? right. So natural so, disasters or environmental disasters. You look at Katrina right, so, you got so, like crazy things happened during Katrina, right? So, right? so a big thing when you look at like what happened to this environmental disaster, well, hey, does mud flood check that? And it totally makes sense. Right, so let me speak to that.
1: Um, so, so your point earlier, it, that predictive programming can be overwhelming. They'll, they'll give us all kinds of lines of, you know, direction we can go in, and we get lost, completely lost, with the explanations of possibilities. Which is why I was saying earlier to come to grips with something stable that I can actually, you know, and looking at our history, we have to look at it. We have to say, resolve the conflicts and the questions that haven't been answered. Um, and when we do that, we can start to answer all of the questions easily. There's stuff that's been popping out at me lately that's just so obvious. Like, uh, for example. I always wondered why Christopher Columbus thought he was discovering a new world, should sure he get here, and why Amerigo Vespucci thought he discovered a new world. Uh, you know, if there, if there was already people there, I don't talk about Native Americans, I'm talking about a whole empire. If that whole empire was there here in America and the, the White House was there as a church long before as a White House, then, you know, why would they ever say that it wasn't there? And the only way to explain that is because they have a schism in, in Europe. Again, go back to that schism, which explains it. And turns out, and i will just going to briefly go with the history. The um, Rushord <clears throat> Empire after the Crusades had grown prominent. They had a world empire. They basically, um, they um, they took over Istanbul by force and they imposed usury on them. They didn't really want to do that um, because they were attacking their enemies who had done that to them in the first place. So they tried to do it the best way they could. They really gave everyone the rights back and everything. And it was okay for a while until people started burning witches and hanging people in their villages in Western Europe. This phenomenon is real and it happened for a long time. Um, what happened is a village will pick out somebody and say, this person is talking to the devil and it told them to, um, to betray us all, you know, to, to, to kill or destroy our village or cause our village to be destroyed by some means. And, and people are just like, it can't be serious. And then like, we're serious and it's happened to other villages. Then you find these other stories like um, in Arabian Nights, the, gyps, the gypsies, they are offering people riches, rewards to become king if you betray your people. Over and over we see this mysterious force offering people to you know, power and wealth if they betray their own. So eventually you get this inquisition from the Rusford empire spreading out, out over Europe, Western Europe, and they are basically telling people to stop burning each other and saying, we don't have to do it that way, let's impose some law here. And, Try to inquire what you know, what they believe, and get them to stop being anti their village. Um, I believe that these heretics were really receiving voices from somebody. You know, telepathy. It wasn't necessarily the devil, but it was somebody. And yeah, they were nefarious means. They're trying to get them to betray the people. It wasn't cool. So um, after a while, the Inquisition um, failed. It just became extremely unpopular and ineffective. And those heretics believed that they represented the invisible God from ancient Egypt. That they brought the Ark of Covenant to Europe. And it's maintained all of that lineage today. And I can't them um, to not believe this because I was raised in it. And I know my parents, you know, believe that they have this blood connection to this past. They're not gonna let go of it. So I had to take it very seriously and look at it. And it looks like the Western Europeans, they decided to flee to America at the time when Columbus left on a bunch of flotillas. And this got into the Bible, the, the book of Noah. And he's he's um, he's leading the Israelites to the new, to israel which is in america and um and he doesn't get there himself but he creates a bunch of arcs and the arcs save the people this happened only 500 years ago it's not an ancient story and it's the westerners remembering their voyage from from the reformation there's a reformation memory remembering the inquisition and fleeing the Inquisition to the new world so these these precursors prototype jews and catholics are coming to america and they hate the rusford empire which is already in america so you can see now the pretense, finally, why an explanation, why these guys actually believed that America was a new world, because, because they, they denied the ruse Empire. It didn't exist to them. Here's another point, this really cl- uh, uh, cool one to me. This is about St. Petersburg. We've always heard about St. Petersburg and the gates of St. Peter's being the gates of heaven, which you have to go through in order to get to heaven. Well, it turns out that Petersburg is a real place, it has a specific shape of a circle and a um, pillar. So, it's the cosmic mountain appears all over Saturnian cosmology everywhere. Saint Petersburg is designed in this shape, and they have these huge gates there. Uh, those gates between west and east. And when uh, Christ was crucified in Istanbul, he basically passed through not those gates, but similar ones into the Eastern uh, Horde Empire. Went back home. He didn't die on the cross. He went back home and, and continued his life. He was crippled though. He was a giant, by the way, I'll get to that another time. Um, <clears throat> but the people in the West, they didn't remember a giant going home, which is what the Eastern Chronicles say happens. They remember Jesus rising to heaven. That's what they say in the Bible. So you have to say, what are they talking about? Which heaven up there? Or the heaven of the ruse Empire, maybe, which was heavenly to the Westerners. They had no usury, you had no circumcision, you had no belief in the re- resurrected deity, savior, you had none of that crap, you had overpopulation and disease, you name it. We all know about England in, in those centuries. Uh, but the further east you go, you have paradise. You have, you have palaces and fountains and just technology and freedom. And it's just, you name it, Ruseword Empire. I'm a big fan of it. And it's because of this memory that they believe that this location was heaven. They wrote down in their books. He went to heaven. Later on, a lot of people in Europe tried to get to the Roussard Empire through immigration policy. And they had very strict and they let went in. And so the St. Petersburg gates became the gates of heaven for like 300 years. People would go there. That's as far as they would get. Certain ones would be let through and other ones not. And they were judged for their sins. It's all there. It's all real. It's happened. It's not heaven. It's not, it's not you know, related to any deities. It's just part of history and perspective of the people in the Reformation. And of that's course, a really
2: interesting uh, view on that dude. Thank uh, you. Did you st- Did you still have uh, some more slides cuz I didn't I, I didn't feel like you were done with your uh, presentation yet. Oh, um I'd love uh, to see what else you got.
1: Yeah, sure. Oh, we got time, right? All,
5: also, do you oh, yeah. do you think the Rus horde empire could also potentially be Tartarians in that? I think it's the same place. Sense? The same yeah, memory.
1: Tartaria is the western's name for it, right? Bruce Horde mm-hmm. was an earlier name used by the Russians themselves it's kind of a it's almost um like a mean thing to say horde like why are you calling them the horde so let me spe- sp- spell that real fast it's because and um and uh andreas actually mentioned this earlier um the horde empire was very eclectic not one kind of uh, race or genealogy at all all over the place you got all kinds of humans with bare heads dog heads hairy bodies very common you got giants and you got small people um there was nothing um they were in the, in the West, you find a lot more conformity, but in the East, the absolute conformity. So um, i trying to remember what my point was there, but uh, the ruse Empire was called, the, oh yeah, Horde, because of that reason, they, it wasn't insulting to them. They liked it, they were fine finding eclectic and they wanted everyone that they conquered to keep their traditions. So they're actually pretty cool about it. Um, an example of media predictive programming that we all know about, if you guys played World, uh, sorry, Warcraft two, Warcraft one, or any of them actually got this Horde, we're all fighting the horde right who are we we're the paladins of you know from the crusade and we're it's a stolen memory of the crusades which of course we all know the people in the west believe that that they were the ones who did it from italy not from the horde empire and therefore in warcraft they say we're fighting the horde we're fighting the Rus' horde empire it's right there the heathens the unchristianized ones the the ones that look like different kinds of people like orcs and stuff you know they don't look like us. Hair right. So another,
4: also, so ruse means red, and so a big part of it is like the the tar. You know, they talk about the redlands. They talk about the red beards. They talk about Genghis Khan or Muhammad having red hair, right? Dang but uh, you know, itarusca is like where you know, Latin, the Romans have the sacking of Tarpeia, the raping of the Sabines. They have a holiday in Italy every year where they celebrate stealing the land from the Tartarians, and <laughs> it's they raped the women and they drugged and killed the men, and then that's the holiday. But her her name was Tarpeia, um, but they, she was a what we call today Itarusa Etruscan. Triscia, you Etrusca. Know, yeah, so this, is the Etruscan Empire, and that's you know. So Rus is Rus is found also in Thracian, right? When you think Thracia, you see like uh, Tar- Tarusian. They have like that a lot. Like it's it's actually the ending in a lot of the
1: sounds. Very cool.
5: That's pretty dope.
1: Yeah, I'm actually just looking at what I should, what topic we should go next. Um, how about we just go back in time a little bit? Um so you're talking talk about empires. I really well, believe. Oh, hey, Hold ahead. on, real
4: quick though, I forgot a second. So another thing is we're talking about like uh, Jewish history. So
1: yeah.
4: Esau, you know, when you're talking about the Arabs, so we're that the, this idea of worshiping a meteor, there's a big concept here with, you know, the son of the firstborn versus the son of the mother, uh, which is the maternal lineage. And so Esau also takes the blessing of the older brother, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Jacob takes the blessing from Esau. So you have this other version of events, which some people believe, which is it's not Isaac and Ishmael that are the descendants of the Arab and the Jewish people. But it's actually the tribes from taking the blessing so that the, you know, so the original son uh, from Abraham to Isaac would have been uh, Esau, right? It's the Esau. And so today, you know, if the Arab people came from Esau.
1: So let's talk about that real fast. Um, The Bible actually talks about these people as humans, right? that they start a lineage of humans on earth. Um, f- uh, if you look at Velikovsky and authors like that, you'll see that there's arguments that these uh, were, these figures in the Bible were um, representations of events that happened. They're, they're larger than life. They were way bigger than actual humans and they're not human at all. Um, <clears throat> let's just uh, jump into it. Um, it's, a, it's a video from uh, David Talbot actually. Um, He's another researcher who is the first one I saw, and he basically described um, the Saturnian cosmologies, first place I heard about it. This is um, your, the the hypothesis origin story of Earth that Earth started out as a moon of Saturn in a collinear configuration of planets, essentially, and um, experienced a great deal of cataclysm in a very short time until we finally arrived in modern times, a period which perhaps started about a thousand years ago. So essentially, in this version. In Saturnian cosmology, Earth timeline is very short, and um, it happens rapidly. Um, the collinear configuration of planets, I've described in my video in other places, is uh, based on Electric Universe theory of all the planets being stuck together in a straight line because of a massive electromagnetic uh, flow of energy through them from the sun. Um, these deities made all kinds of shapes and, and symbols in the sky, and they're remembered and, and written, written down as symbols and so forth, but also as, as deities, as, with names. This is a, you know, be very natural because if they, if they were watching these things in the sky move around and, and cause cataclysm, the, the default thought of any intelligent being would be that they are intelligent too. the deities in the sky. So we give them names, we give them personalities. We say, this one Kronos just ate all of her children for some reason. We don't know why she did that. Oh wow, Zeus, the biggest children child was too fat and intervened and now all the children are coming out of her mouth what a weird story that is you know let's write it down make north mythology and nobody today knows what the hell they're talking about it doesn't make any sense like- you
4: notice though right and like most of the old pictures you see a three you see saturn and the moon and the sun sort of at this point where there's a conjunction, and that that's pretty much most of the beliefs up until in, in the Mayan astrology as well saturn was essentially the same size as the moon in the sky
1: gotcha In this depiction, you got Saturn in the background, the big one in in front of that is Venus, and then Mars, the red dot, oscillating between Earth and Venus. Venus is a gas giant, a gas dwarf, whatever you call it, it, it's a gas planet. It's not a solid rock. For example, that show Third Rock from the Sun, sorry, no, Earth is the second rock from the Sun. And Venus took many different shapes over time. Today, they say Venus has hard ground because of of the probes that went there. How easy of a lie is that to make? Um, Venus has no mountains, no ground. It's entirely a plasma form, it's extremely hot. It's about 800 degrees as atmosphere. And it's more or less in plasma state at all times. I jump back to um, uh, Vilikovsky because he, he described all of this in detail, these theories, but he also called out a lot of modern physics. He said, you guys aren't making the right predictions. They predicted VS to be cold, 200 degrees or less, which is cold. And he said, it's going to be 600 or 800, and he was right. So if this guy, this researcher is predicting things that NASA can't get right in the 60s, precursor to Carl Sagan, then he basically is onto something. Um, <clears throat> so the idea here is that Venus- which What is at, this video again? Where did you get this video from? This is uh, David Talbot's documentary, oh, right. oh. 1996. Remembering cool. the End of the World, you can find it on YouTube, very amazing. Watched so many times. Um, so Velkovsky, for example, he um, he uh, said, Venus, we know what it is. It's this hot dragon in, in mythology. It's, it's um, It keeps changing shape, so it has to still be hot today. It can't can't have cooled down in a short time. He was right. But before Velikovsky, a very interesting claim was made by Sigmund Freud. A lot of people don't know this. Uh, Right before he died, mysteriously, he made the claim that, in his mind, the the Israelites of the ancient Egyptian empire, the Israelites that, that made it today, that survived till today, were the upper class, not the lower class. They weren't the slaves. They were the masters. And it's only for that reason that they remember their story, their version, their perspective, which puts them in the, in the victim perspective. They couldn't have been, you know, they're covering up the crimes. That's why I said at the beginning, covering up the crimes of the past, make it look like someone else did it to you. So let me get into Egypt real fast. It's fascinating to me. Um, in a couple of uh, ancient Egyptian depictions, you see uh, black slaves. Um, and then mostly see white slaves everywhere. And it's like, wow, what an eclectic time for slavery. We had them actually working together nope as it turns out um the big mystery of whether or not the slaves were black or white is tied right into napoleon's um journey to egypt he got there everything changed he wanted to his, the Jesuits were going to construct the nile and he said no he wanted to destroy their culture he wanted to flood the delta which is what happened and uh it sort of ruins that that region um <clears throat> so why is that so here's why The Jesuit plan was to convert every indigenous race on the world over to monotheism, um, the savior story. And they went to Egypt. And it's my belief that the Jesuits created the Sphinx in about the 16th or 17th century. Fomenko says earlier than that, historians say way earlier than that, fine, whatever. I do believe that the pyramid is very old, but the Sphinx was designed in the 17th century specifically. Here's here's how I know. it is the recreation of the old god Osiris. Uh, you have got the excuse here in this video, you got um, the beard of Mars down the ground, you got um, the nose or red apple of the eye, and then you got the crowning Venus above it. So this is Osiris made up of three parts, um, Isis, Horus, and um, sorry, no, it's two parts. I'm forgetting my mythology here. Anyway, the story of Osiris is that he was broken into three pieces and hid all over the earth. So this is three pieces are Saturn, Mars, and Venus. They did in fact come apart. In fact, you'll see right here in this video, this is what what the depiction looked like when they came apart. And Jupiter is seen for the first time in the colonial configuration. They're all spreading out into a round table configuration. So anyway, Osiris is the old Egyptian god, old Persian god, old pyramidal empire god. I call it the pyramidal empire because the pyramids of those empires spread all over the world back then in and the, and the uh, equator zones. So um, Osiris, somebody decided to rebuild Osiris in modern times in the 17th century uh, to put the nose back and everything as it was. That could only mean one thing, that Osiris is back to claim that location, Egypt and all of the slaves of that region. Um, Napoleon made peace with those with those uh, Egyptians and turned them against the deep state. It was one of his allies. Um, he, w- he set up a project there of... Um, of a, a giant, uh, of the Suez Canal. It was the precursor of Suez Canal. He was going to connect those two oceans, connect Asia to Europe. And he was going to put this statue right there in front of the riverbank, welcoming the, the ships, the Statue of Liberty. Um, so, of course, was a, a, uh, a project that a lot of people associate with a French designer, but it was Napoleon who just decided to create the Statue of Liberty. Um, a lot of people think the Statue of Liberty is a French woman in robes, is an Egyptian woman in robes. Um, this is how stolen the Egyptian history is. They, they took it all. They put it somewhere else. So, um, so that statue of, uh, of Osiris, that Sphinx, when Napoleon showed up, his army destroyed it. They didn't de- tear the whole statue down because soldiers superstitious as they were, they don't do those things. They don't destroy god statues, but they did correct the statue. Mars is gone and Venus is gone. So Mars is gone and Venus is gone. So they cut off the nose and they cut off the beard of the Sphinx to make, the, the slaves, the remnants of the old Egyptian empire, made it clear that the Jesuits were not representing any God and that they were indeed free. This is what I meant earlier when I said Napoleon was freeing people and that, watch, we're going to knock this God's nose off. And if he's going to strike us back, then we were wrong, which makes this whole thing very ironic once you consider that the Mudfoot event might have actually really looked like God showing up and just punishing everyone who decided with Napoleon.
2: So, do you think the, the mud flood thing was like a diluvian thing where it w- wasn't really a water flood? It was more of like what you're saying, a mud flood? Right. Or let me get to the details of it. Thing?
1: So, you got an energy weapon hitting Earth in certain locations, um, is destroying those locations, the materials getting hot and going up into the atmosphere. And it's falling down in what's called mud rains. Got a picture here. Uh, nope, I went away. It's over here. One second, this is a cool picture, painting. All right, so look at this painting. What the heck is going on here? You got something called blood rain, which is a term for red, reddish mud rain. Just looks like blood. You have these weird stars shooting out at the cities from the sky. You have what looks like giants compared to the size of horses feeling sick and falling over and dying. Uh, this is, these are strange events and, p- and paintings from the 19th century. Um, and so the mud flood event, which eventually was um, mud rain falling from the sky and raising the level of the ground. This is devastating. This ruins all crops and prevents life from happening. I uh, found this excerpt from a newspaper, analysis, Microscopical analysis of the dust of regular winds of the blood rain. This is a real study of blood rain back in the 19th century. And they said, this is fascinating. If you look at some of these, uh, if you look at the rest circle, the they say that this really needs to be studied, great and rapidly increasing interest. They want to know what this blood rain was and what caused it. So to get back on topic, uh, the mud flood event, which, um, which if it was caused by a weapon, it took that material out of the ground, heated up, put it in the atmosphere, came back as mud rain. But nobody shooting this weapon would want the mud to rise so high that it couldn't covered up in the future or be left behind as evidence and to be you know determined so the grand canyon scar for example if that was caused by this weapon was a huge mistake because it left behind grand canyon and now we can say oh that's evidence of something in that water so that wasn't intentional a lot of this wasn't intentional we got to ask what else could have happened that caused an unintentional disaster to make it so much worse than you know they wanted it to be and that would be this coronal uh, storm system is described again by andrew hall of the electric universe this is a snapshot of his video showing similarities between a coronal loop on the sun and what he believed was a secondary discharge of electricity that occurred on earth that carved the midwest regions he went to those regions in utah and so forth and said these are electric scars he's a scientist he made the theories he's a serious guy so i don't have to do the work and i'm really glad i found him because the only difference between what he's saying and what I'm saying is that he believes this happened in the past naturally, and I believe this happened 200 years ago. Um, secondary discharge, he describes it as something that is a, is a side effect of a primary discharge. Back then you have Mars, Prometheus, attacking Earth in recent cataclysms. Um, electric discharge, hitting Earth, hitting Mars. On Mars you see tremendous negative scarring, huge canyons, way bigger than Grand Canyon, all over the place um, Prometheus, which was the myth of Mars, people watched as Prometheus's liver was eaten every day and then grew back. This was a punishment for Prometheus giving, uh, technology to humans. So what technology? Well, Mars showed up nine times, apparently, and struck the earth with tremendous electric force. Humans are forced to survive, learn about electricity, learn about cathedrals, all that kind of stuff. So for Prometheus, for the Prometheus event, you have electric scarring on, on on Mars, but you don't have any on Earth. You don't see electric scarring throughout the planet. So he was wondering, where, why is these locations so unique? Western America, South North America, why are they so unique? And he said his theory secondary electric discharge must have occurred after the primary discharge. He had the Earth enough. After all that electricity got into the, into the Earth, it had to go somewhere. Heat cannot be created or destroyed. So a of thermodynamics. Um, that heat eventually looped back. Secondary loop is what he calls it. It came out of the ground. It literally forced itself out of the ground and created canyons on Earth. The Chinese dragon, for example, is a memory of this event, where the dragon is remembered as being close to the ground, gripping the ground and causing mayhem and carnage, not something in the sky. Um, So anyway, secondary discharge theory um, to Andrew Hall is something that happened naturally. To me, it's an explanation for why we see so much of this mud flood. It's because this is not intentional. They destroyed everyone they had to do, all those kingdoms, they got them all. But by doing that, they created so much excess heat. They invented a secondary discharge that could not be controlled. This arced across the planet and just ruined locations. So here in America, but also in the Middle East, if you look at those maps, you'll see it's just scarred. Um, you got islands all over the world, which look different. In South China, you got, you got these um, islands which are empty. There's like a big hole in the ground they're hard to explain. One of the atolls, what they're called, is explained by a Trinity bomb. Like we set off a nuclear bomb, hypothetical nuclear bomb there. It caused these certain islands. I would say, yeah, it caused all of them to do that, to shave off the top and carve a hole in the center. No, something else happened to those islands in just that region. Uh, there's a lot of examples of this. So um, the point is, um, <clears throat> secondary discharge was not intentional and, and um, it was, they had no choice. That's what I'm saying. It, it could not have been oversight. They, they had no choice but to defeat all of their enemies at once, and and therefore caused this. And then they spent the rest of their, the last 200 years, sort of doing everything they can to prevent us from ever finding the mud flood. It's literally like the last theory. You know, it's the final one. That's why I keep hearing everyone say, "That was a lot of stuff."
2: Damn, dude. Holy shit. Yeah, that was a lot. My brain actually hurts. Like, I can that's feel excellent. It
1: I'm you. pretty happy
4: with that. There's mm-hmm. some good things you're pointing out. Um, I would say that like mud flood is not something that is rare or doesn't happen. I mean, right now, as I said earlier, but like Peru is, you know, we have waikos, which are mud floods that happen pretty much every season and around the world in Russia and Mongolia, they also have mud floods. And there's also um, like mud volcanoes, like volcanoes are like essentially just pushing out dirt and, and sediments being pushed across more than it's like super heated what you have is you have plasmic steam in these vents underground. And then the, the steam is so hot and so pressurized it becomes plasmic. And then it goes in every direction creating these lightning storms, which are creating these patterns, which are the, the patterns you're referring to that are being made. And then so you're wondering how much power can you produce? Well, look at a volcano that has uranium deposits in it or other sorts of materials that create like not just chemical reactions, but essentially like what we refer to as nuclear explosions. Now nuclear explosions aren't exactly the same as how we've been described, you've probably seen that, but very large uh, pressures uh, underground can produce these extreme underground lightning. Uh, Yeah, and then the boring tubes, right? So like Howard Hughes, his his family fortune for making airplanes and movies all came from the 1890s. Uh, His family, before he was an orphan, you know, they had had a fortune from making all of the drill bits for you know these giant drill systems and there's subterrines i see you've got stuff on like the foundlings there too all the trains that were bringing foundlings everywhere because so many people were sterilized by this process that the kids ended up you know being taken from their parents and raised right
1: let's cover that one real fast just to because slip it in there because this is amazing to me but it's the whole cargo cult theory Yeah, what are cargo cults you know well it's these um Cults that are entirely dependent on cargo right simple as that and during this mudfoot event afterwards places that were hit by it were uninhabitable they were dependent entirely on cargo some of the cargo came from
4: Grushy? i love that you've got grocery for this too it's perfect whirling dervishes
1: right yeah um so, some of this cargo came from the sky some of it came from um trains and here is a map of you know america being repopulated of course with train tracks but what's these other reasons regions you basically have these weird traditions of people worshiping something that they're looking up in the sky at, and um, in an earlier one, let's go back to it. If
4: you check out Gerchief, who did the Enneagram, the nine-pointed star, I was almost going to use those in my background earlier, it's, you know, these dances are technically, according to Gerchief, medicinal, and they have to do with like, the fourth way school, like Esalen is pretty big into that. Right. kind so, of So
1: what I'm saying is that they could have been a special time when people saw the weirdest things show up, things that sort of look like what they're saying right there, circular energetic anti-gravity devices dropping cargo on them in the 19th century if that's not the explanation something else that's fine but what was really weird here and this guy in this one video uh philip drews i believe it's his video really makes the case that you know this could not have come from anything else they're looking up in the sky and they're rotating what is rotating in the sky that made them do this as a religion so that is what a cargo cult is
4: well yeah that's the that's yeah philip's a good friend that's exactly what we're talking about the rock right so like the arabs and the jews having this rock that they you know are fighting over if the land you know it has a temple on a mound that has to do with this trifecta zone of these three different as you said parts that connect to isis rail as we're now referring to thundercats since it's no longer egyptian or whatever egyptus means because you know kemet was not greek when we called it that so patahotep would have had a better name for it but you know we now live in a society where all of Egyptian magic, or if you want to call it that again, it's like I think it's better just to call it Kemetic, you know, because alchemy means the study of Kemet, so all of it's just this, and there's also algebra, which is a study of Hebra, right? So all of these old schools are like Hermetic schools or Kemetic schools, that's why all of this is coming back around. It's interesting you're talking about predictive programming because clearly there's a group that are aware of this stuff. I mean, if L. Ron Hubbard. Aleister Crowley, um, Manly P. Hall, they're all writing books about these ideas in the 1800s, 1900s, you know, and it it seems pretty clear that they're setting up for us to come to this realization together. The question is, are they trying to help us learn from this or regress from this? And if you look at the foundlings, like you're talking these cargo cults, but...
1: They're trying, the they're trying to divide and conquer. us. they're trying to confuse us. They're yeah. trying to assess I mean, on the wrongs like path. past two
4: hundred years. You like build up new nations because they're like corn stalks. you know. And that way, like you don't have to worry about monocrops having famines. It seems like that's part of the plan.
1: Yeah. I mean, go what's this. the
3: end result, though? I mean, I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, if they're so all powerful, is money so important? I would feel no, like no, Power is. What are they powers, trying to gain? But after the power, is that what do we have that they want so bad? Let me get
1: to the Uh, present.
4: Wait, I just want to say Paradizer is Persian for gardener and emperor. And the reason that they have you is because they want what's most from you and your potential. And if you become a scientist, an inventor, and a doctor, that's very valuable. Yeah, but they don't let us do
1: any of those things. So let me get straight to the question there. Uh, What do they really want from us right now? it seems like a lot of events are happening right now. People are losing faith in the institutions. They're, they're actually asking this question a lot. Uh, yeah, what is the game plan? It seems like they're all the deep state or whatever you want to call it is literally about to lose all that power. They're going out in several revolutions happening around the world right now. So what what, what were they, why'd they want to go out so hard? Why are they driving this all into the ground? And the answer to that question, unfortunately, if you're really looking on terms of all of this is that this is all about the future. The answer to the question, is all about the future. Money and all that stuff doesn't matter if it doesn't add up in the future. And the most important thing in the world is children. If we don't have the ability to have children in the future, we don't have a the future. They're gonna, they're gonna overwhelm us later with the numbers. So they are literally going after our ability to have children right now in mass vaccination, sterilization campaign, you name it. It's been there our whole lives, but right now it's hitting climax. And when it's over, those who basically still have the ability to have children will be the ones that have to fight the next battle in the future. So
3: full-on handmaid's tail shit here.
1: Oh, so the World Economic Forum
4: predicts by 2045, you know, and I use the word predict slightly, the zero sperm count and zero egg count, right? And so the intention is obviously to hit a point where, I mean, I guess obviously is a fucked word to use. Excuse me, <laughs> sorry. Um, but if they're they're going to remove, they're going to remove uh, the ability for everyone to have families for one generation. And then and it's who will produce children are, as they're doing correctly, you know, in vitro fertilization of cloning since 1997, they will probably just be in vitro clones brought back in 20 years, maybe 2060s, 2071. And there's a, num- there's a number of people that are talking about 2071, 2074, you know, as being like the beginning. I think um, Cyberpunk has, a, you know, they make references to these little predictive programming things. But regardless, if the World Economic Forum is to be trusted that the sperm count and egg count will hit a point where children are no longer conceived uh, at all, then it will it will take in vitro frozen eggs over some sort of cloning technology. So that will be the beginning of the next uh, cycle. And whomever raises those kids, the first generation will probably be like as in history has been done before the state, right? So you have these orphanages and they're taught, a way to think probably a new language created by google you know like or some kind of ai designed memetic language that replaces you know newspeak that would be the first step
2: yeah okay.
4: <laughs> you guys
2: have completely blown our brains here so i'm gonna we gotta cut out like we gotta like end this and bring it back again later but mark popped back in he's gone for a bit Mark, you got some any... sort of conclusion yeah. though from you. Mark, guys, what's your least? positive hippie conclusion to this? We love you. You got to unmute yourself, though.
1: Uh, he's still mute. Are you
0: still oh. I'm
1: good. I'm okay. good. I'm good.
0: Can you hear me now? There you are. Uh, yeah, we can.
1: Yes, sir.
0: Wow. Wow. Bravo to both of you guys. I'm glad you had the idea to bring both. Andreas and Ari together because I definitely have been inspired by both of their work Uh, and combined here we are I mean yeah I'm baffled Mm. as usual but I was kind of thumbing through I don't know if you guys noticed before this book wondering if there was a connection it's uh, Ignatius Donnelly's The Destruction of Atlantis so you know I think we should continue this uh, another time but do you guys Ari or Andreas do you guys recognize that book has that come across your your desk totally yeah
4: my main theory at this point is Atlantis as a city-state is a great example that had, Um, and the destruction of Atlantis being a uh, an accident you know I think it's it's between the both because it's more Machiavellian that there's nepotism that led to uh, whatever cataclysmic Disaster, I believe, was you know volcanoes that were being used as power plants and, and the like for for mining that led to this this chain reaction that actually is you know the the beginning of this what we call reset. <laughs> but like not 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 to say that there weren't people that were living off automated things and so that they had already lost sight of it. I think society was actually at a more advanced point than that. So I'm not convinced it was just uh, an all out collapse because of um the society falling apart
1: in saturnian cosmology it's a result of the collinear configuration coming apart entirely natural event which caused atlantis to sink into the north Pole. yeah i i, I, just, I don't go with the Terence mckenna
4: you know i know i mean that's but that's probably what any chaldean uh, sorcerer would have said you know like mm-hmm. oh yeah no, check the stars tracks I'm sure, you know, like, but the thing is, rich people like to be the ones to pay to make a prophecy happen all the time. I know plenty of people who do it.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm
4: not, it's not necessarily anything other than theatrics at that point. But I do believe, you know, light is being sent here through data. I remember like 2010, when like the University of Mexico City kids were creating light, Li-Fi, so you could flicker, uh, you know, you could see data through the flickering of the LEDs. So one could presuppose if you take stars and you use them to, you know, shoot a Dyson sphere of light, uh, like a laser towards a sodium solution, it could then cause chain reactions which become geological, then biological, then life would form, let alone all sorts of other data that you could implant inside of a... In a system, or you know, a hack that you could change. I mean, the, the the amount of the amount of interaction that could exist in that system is plausible. But it also it it, it looks pretty obvious that you know DNA itself is written in this larger schema. So whatever it is, you know, it's not enough to say that these polytheistic characters are just super us. You know, there's also. There's also something more to that. I think that's what um Saint Augustine was talking about when he was trying to wrestle with pantheism to understand what is the difference between God, who is she, the darkness, right? And then, you know, out of the matrices, this light being Lucifer and others like him that are uh data transferred upon us.
2: Mm. Very cool. God Probably damn, on. you got
1: I'm oh, seriously
2: wow. gonna have weird dreams tonight. <laughs> like I this is, this is way crazier than I thought it was going to be, and we definitely good. have to do a part two because yes. I know Ari's got more yeah. in his noggin. I can see it. I can see it from here.
1: I organized, but yeah. <laughs> no, this is really this is good. good,
4: actually. Ari, right, we should talk more. I, you know, I can... I'll bring it to another round of i'd like to bring some slides as well
2: oh this yeah is good. oh for sure yeah, yeah no absolutely. we'll schedule another date like a month out you guys can get yourself uh organized and we can set a good date for everybody mark you'll definitely be back and We're we'll plan a good uh,
3: two-hour three-hour block uh, <laughs>
2: roman back in here too but before we get out of here tonight uh let's go around again ari where can we find you
1: paradigmthreat.net just go to that site you'll see my content theories and also link to discord come check out our discord a lot of new people come in these days and so where we're debating all of our stuff, figuring it all out. It's really fun. We all welcome. Nice.
2: And Andreas, where can we find you again?
4: Go check out tartarinova.com. You can find our YouTube links there. We have hundreds of videos that are hours long on pretty much every one of these subjects that we talked about tonight. So,
0: yeah, I hope you enjoy oh, it and mark right on well i just got a uh, rockfin channel up and going so people can okay. go check me out on rockfin and i'm going to be streaming live as well so look forward to that and my family thinks I'm crazy search it in any podcast app and uh, check us out on patreon and instagram too buy me a coffee there's a bunch of places you can find us nice dude everybody thank you so much
3: thank for joining you so much this we had a couple amazing, people uh, i right? had to
2: cut out early and i get it it's getting late especially where you guys are but oh, it was a
3: two-hour mind-blowing episode where people were like hold on my brain's exploding i gotta go one. i gotta recover
2: and if you're listening it's on great. audio seriously go check out the video because that's where all the good shit is yeah. Yeah. All of on- or uh ari's slides and shit like gotta check it out all right guys so, have a good night we will uh set up a date and talk to you guys next time for sure
1: great. thanks guys see you guys Hey, it's working. That was easy, thank you.